Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Where we're at right now is not where we aspire to be in the beginning or where we aspire to be right now. Those are the words of Kyle Dubas from the Pittsburgh Penguins, president of hockey operations slash general manager, as he addressed the media with regards to his hockey club. They are a handful of points outside of the wild card picture. We, we had a whole discussion earlier this week about Jake Gensel and as it pertains to Sidney Crosby's future, which I still think he's not leaving, but worthwhile if you want to check out that discussion on Monday's episode. But so much to go through with this team as it appears that they might be looking to sell off everyone that's not a part of their core. CJ, what did you make of Kyle Dubas's press conference yesterday and the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins as it pertains to this season? Well, the quote you just read is a lot of words to be saying that this is a disappointment. I mean, there's no other way to, to look at this year in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Kyle Dubas takes over that team, pretty significant overhaul on, on the fringes of the roster around, obviously, those core players. But between trades, free agent signings, obviously the big Eric Carlson deal, you know, extended Tristan Jari. I mean, a lot of big decisions were made by Kyle Dubas in a short amount of time. And and it's just not gotten any more out of this team that, than what they had last year when they, you know, played down to the, the last week of the regular season, last days of the regular season before missing the playoffs ultimately. And, you know, they're in a worse position as we're recording this right now. I mean, they're they're eight points out of a, pl- a playoff spot in the wild card, 10 points out of third in the Metropolitan Division. And, and in fact, they're closer really to being a team that could be drafting in the top 10 than, than one that we should be looking at as a playoff team. And, and you know, that's on the back of the season Sidney Crosby's having in addition to that. Uh, I think it could be worse if he had aged the way uh, normal humans age, uh, even just from this year to last year. And so, yeah, it, it's a difficult spot. I think that Kyle Dubas wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't looking to, to make some trades, um, you know, because he's got to free up the ability to have a big summer this year. I, you know, I'm, I'll say this. I'm, I'm certainly of the opinion that a full rebuild doesn't make sense. I, I think that when you have those players and they want to be there and they want to try to retire as Penguins, it's kind of your duty as the organization to try to, to, to be as competitive as long as you can. And, and the full teardown rebuilds, they don't go too well, generally speaking. So, you know, there should be urgency in Pittsburgh, but I, I don't think it should be urgency to, try to squeeze into the playoffs now. It just, just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, I, you know, the, the good news, I suppose, is there's two more weeks before the deadline. So there's Kyle Dubas will get a little bit more information in terms of exactly where his team is at um, leading into March 8th. But, but ultimately I think we're going to be talking about them trading a player or two or more out of town versus, you know, trying to load up for a, a push to the playoffs. You, you put up a trade board earlier today how many more Pittsburgh Penguins will be on that list when you update it the next time around? 
We'll see what the intel is. I mean, you've got Jake Gensel pretty high up on that list for obvious reasons. We've talked about his situation a lot. But, you know, one thing Kyle Dubas said in his press conference on Wednesday was we have a lot of players signed along contracts in their 30s. And the unspoken part of that is, do they want to add another one? As, as good as Jake Gensel is, this is not a, a comment on, on him or whether he's worth investing in. I think it's more about, does he fit where that team is at? And it's hard for me to conclude that he does. You know, keep in mind that the Penguins traded away a first-round pick in that Carlson deal. Uh, you know, the surest way to get one back, I would presume, at, at least with the, the sort of moves that they're willing to consider, would be trading Jake, Jake Gensel at the deadline. You know, you have a player like Riley Smith who's got one more year on his deal. I think that, you know, he just hasn't been a fit. You know, that was one of the, the you know, meant to be a more impactful offseason trade that, that Kyle Dubas pulled off at the draft and, you know, hasn't worked for a variety of reasons. So you, you got him on the board. You know, I think Ryan Graves is someone they'd look at moving into free agent signing that hasn't worked out, but it's a lot of term and money there. Probably not a deal that that you see executed by March 8th, but you know, there could be other depth, depth types of trades too. You know, I think as I mentioned, I the the, the real key here is is opening up a little bit of space, opening up the ability to to make offseason moves because they 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 just can't be a team that runs it back the same way. You know what I mean? I think that they they have to be doing absolutely everything they can to squeeze what they can out of the roster. And then if we get to a point where you say, okay, it's just not going to happen in Pittsburgh, then we're talking about the retool slash rebuild. So what about Eric Carlson? Do you put him in that core group of untouchables or just is his contract just a little bit too difficult to move? How do you see it? For the deadline, I would be stunned. I mean, San Jose was highly motivated to move him at last year's deadline and, and it didn't work. Now, they ultimately ended up retaining a bit of salary. And keep in mind, if Pittsburgh gets to a point in the offseason where they think that moving on from Eric Carlson makes sense, I mean, they can retain more. And, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're no longer trading a you know, $12 million player. It can become you know, something a little bit more palatable and probably more in line with where Eric Carlson is at this stage of his career. But you know, with him having a no-move clause and, and the, the, the money, the, the financial aspect of that deal, I, just, I don't think that that's one you're going to pull off inside a two-week window. Um, but, you know, I think everything will have to be on the table this offseason, especially, you know, barring some magnificent, miraculous finish where they, they do get in the playoffs. I mean, then you're at two years in a row without the playoffs. You're facing a, a summer where you're going to be looking to get Sidney Crosby signed to his extension July 1st. And so, you know, I, I think Pittsburgh should be one of the most active teams in the next six months of activity um, or longer, you know, I mean, into the summertime. And, you know, that that some of that work can get done here by March 8th. And so, you know, Kyle didn't come out and say all this stuff. I'm, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but I think that he was kind of, kind of implying that this is where it's going. Um, you know, it was quite clear. He's not going to be a buyer. He's, not, you know, looking to unload more first round picks. It, this isn't necessarily a, you know, there's not, there's not one or two moves out there that are going to drastically change anything. I, I think that it's more of, you know, a, re, a, a, a good hard look at the roster entering next year. And I would think they will be one of the, the teams we're talking a lot about the summer in terms of loading up and making some bold plays. Kind of wild that Kyle Dubas goes from one situation in Toronto where he's doing everything he can to satisfy and appease and build up a, a core four, essentially, to a core three or maybe a core four, depending on how you look at it in Pittsburgh. It's just kind of a weird, funny situation for, for Kyle Dubas and what he's ended up in. And I don't envy the work that he has to do to put himself uh, to try to tip put the Pittsburgh Penguins over the top. Anyway, I don't envy him in that position. It's it's a hard job to look good in. I feel like and and look, 
he got a seven-year contract, which is far more security than most people do. He was smart. I think he was realistic. That you know, the term of that deal shows that both he and Fenway Sports Group, the team, you know, the entity that owns the team, were realistic about the job ahead. Like I, I think that they understood it's possible the best days of the team are in the past, and but you're you know you're trying to do what you can now, and then there, there's going to have to be some kind of retool on the fly. And I think you know if, if we look ahead, say three years, I think ideally. If you start with that that sort of frame of reference in terms of time, if you're Kyle Dubas, you want to build this team up where it has a chance to be rebounding while Sidney Crosby's still part of it, right? I mean, it might not be possible. I I don't know. I don't have the uh, the, the crystal balls. I, I know you love when I say that, Julian, but I, I think that that's got to be the goal as much as it is to, to you know clearly get them back to the, the playoffs. I mean, they, they have they haven't put up the white flag yet on this year's playoffs, but I'm I'm thinking it's going to be difficult. But as much as it in short term to to have success, I think you want to try to be integrating young players onto that roster at a time when Crosby can still be putting a stamp on a team, can be part of what they're doing. And, you know, maybe ultimately somehow, some way be chasing the Stanley cup. I mean, that's, that, that seems like a far off goal just because it generally takes teams a little while to build and build and build. But I think that that has to be the goal in the front office and, and that, that should inform what the decisions they make now um, when it comes to this deadline. Pittsburgh Penguins need a first-round pick, man. They only have a second, a fourth, a sixth, and two sevenths in this summer's upcoming draft. We mentioned that pick, that first-round pick, gone to San Jose as part of that Eric Carlson trade. If they want to eventually kind of do this retool on the fly thing here, they need some kind of first-round pick. Probably Jake Gensel's the player to get that pick, but I don't think if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you could accept just entering a draft without a first-round pick. No, and, and look, I think that they keep that pick if it ends up in the top ten, which still not impossible. Yes. If 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 uh, you know if the bottom falls out, it you know they're they're kind of in 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 they're in a window where they could pick top ten. So they might end up picking this year in the top ten. But I'm with you. I think that they you know as an organization, I'm not going to be critical of the moves made in the past. I mean, they didn't all work out. But when when you've got three Stanley Cup banners with the core of this team. Um, I think the, the end justifies the means there that all the, the picks and deals they've made in, in past deadlines. Like I, I don't have any problem with that, but, but they got to start, you're right. They got they have to start introducing younger players to that lineup and, and, you know, they grafted a lot of older guys on there, right? I mean, they got Lars Ellers and, and, you know, even Riley Smith where he's at in his career, Carlson's in his thirties. I mean, they, they, Nolachari, they signed, like they, they really, they, they have a lot of, uh, you know, gray haired, uh, members of that team, so um, yeah, I do think <laughs> I, I do think uh, I do think that that Kyle recognizes that that tr- transition has to start, and you know probably start a little bit next season. Any other big takeaways from that press conference before we move on to the rest of the trade tree? Uh, not trade tree. Sorry, I was thinking of Steve Tangle's trade trees. Uh, before we move on to the rest of the trade picture, as it is with the rest of the NHL. No, I just, you know, he, he did also Kyle Dubas back Mike Sullivan again, uh, which he's been want to do consistently. And I, I think this is such a unique situation because Mike Sullivan, I think widely still considered one of the better coaches in the league, you know, probably going to get some consideration to, to coach at the Olympics for Team USA. Um, you know, but is he uh, is he signing up for this? You know, and that's you start to feel the same way, but we're not going to open the door on the Crosby discussions and all that again. But it's 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 a big job when you have those franchise legends and, and people that, that have a big contract like Sullivan and, and have had so much success. Just how you handle that while you sort of transition. I mean, this is, it's not going to be a traditional rebuild. I'll put it that way. And, and, you know, I think that that's probably what excites Kyle Dubas 
quite honestly, is he's going to get a chance to do something in a way that maybe it doesn't always happen, just the way it all lines up with when he was hired and where the team's at and who the people, the individuals are involved there. But, um, you know, I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch because they, they can't sit still. They, there's There's just no justification for, you know, rolling it back with the same thing. They have to try something new. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Liquid IV. Whether you're staying up late, yelling at the TV with your friends, watching the game, or just hanging out, going to a bar or establishment of your choice that you happen to enjoy frequenting on a Saturday night, you have to be prepared for that hydration Monday. We all know how Sundays can get, but that Monday when you're back at it at work, you need something to get you going, and Liquid IV can help you out with that. Whether you're taking in the white peach flavor, the grape flavor, lemon lime, they have a whole assortment of flavors at your disposal, and they keep you hydrated. All you need is one stick, literally just something that looks like this, 16 ounces of water. It's better than water alone when it comes to hydration. Three times the electrolytes over the leading sports drink, no artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and minerals, and non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. It's perfect. It's great. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Johnston at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code Johnston at liquidiv.com. All right. Speaking of teams on the verge of non-traditional rebuilds, it's time to talk about the Calgary Flames again. I hear producer gro- uh, producer Nick groaning in my ear at the fact that we have to mention the Calgary Flames again. But they have the most enticing assets ahead of the NHL trade deadline in March. Uh, earlier this week, you talked about uh, you talked about and reported on Noah Hannafin uh, likely to leave the Calgary Flames ahead of the deadline. The Tampa Bay Lightning as a team interested in Noah Hannafin, which I have questions about with regards to what assets they might have available. I'm not going to diss their, their prospect base, but in terms of their draft picks, I don't, I'm I'm not sure if I have questions about whether or not they have a package that could appeal to, to the Calgary Flames. They want younger players. They want high draft picks. I wonder if the Lightning are able to to afford that price point. And I think it could it could start a good discussion about what the asking prices could be for a Noah Hannafin and even for Chris Tanev. We can lump him in this conversation as well, as it appears he'll also be gone by the trade deadline. But Tampa Bay's interest in Noah Hannafin, can you talk a little bit more about it? Well, it makes a lot of sense, right? You know, Mikhail Sergachev, I don't know if you saw he posted on his Instagram this week. I mean, he's just starting to walk again after the surgery he had for the you know, the broken bones that got reset in his leg. Um, you know, it doesn't look, and, and the team has not yet provided a firm timeline on his return, but I think it's fair to assume we're not seeing him again before the playoffs at the absolute earliest, which means they have his cap room to make a big deal. You know, I think their blue line this year has been, 
you know, they've patched it together. They've used a lot of, you know, sort of off the radar players. And, and look, Tampa's in a playoff spot. They, they, they've, they're getting by, but I think it's a natural place for us to look for the Lightning to upgrade. And this just fits Julian Brisebois, man. I mean, nobody has traded more first-round picks than him in the last number of years. No one has made more bold moves. And, you know, that's not to say it's going to happen, but when I when you ask, you know, what do they have that might appeal to Calgary? I mean, you also hinted at it off the, off the top. The Flames aren't looking to fall to the bottom of the standings, even though they're trading away some some impactful players. And so what Tampa has is it has a 20, 26 first-round pick, which might be more appealing than you think. I mean, if you're making a bet, uh, you would lose a lot of bets if you had been betting against the Tampa Bay Lightning declining at some point. But I, I think it's mm. fair to assume a couple years down the road, maybe they're not still the same quality of Stanley Cup contender they are today. And so maybe holding one of their draft picks in the future is actually, you know, it's going to take a long time before you can use that. It's also an asset. If you hold a, a first round route that long, you can look to trade yourself again in a subsequent deal. So they, you know, the Lightning do have a 2026 first round pick and they've got players and I haven't heard any specific names. So I don't, I'm not going to, you know, go on the roster and, you know, Phantom say this guy's going to Calgary. But, you know, I think one of the under played parts of the Lindholm trade is they did get Kuzmenko back. Um, and so, you know, that's a player who's in their lineup now, who scored some goals, um, you know, signed through next season, is 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 clearly an NHL player. You know what I mean? Like you're not replacing, you're not, you're not just taking Elias Lindholm away and and you know, trusting a 22-year-old with the job. Or, you know, and and you know, it's that exact same positional or the same type of player you get back in Kuzmenko, but you at least get another NHL body that's in your lineup. And so you know, I wonder if if there is a way for this to work. And, and you know, the feeling around uh, Hannafin at this point in time is that, you know, when he signs his next deal, it's it's likely to be in, in the U.S. Um, you know, so maybe this is a sign and trade, too. Maybe there's 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 a, a component of this where they're committing to him longer term. And, um, you know, wouldn't that be interesting, given that, you know, you've got Victor Hedman there, you've got Sergachev in your long term plan, signed long term, even though he's injured this year. Um, you know, the lightning are bold. I'll say that. And so they're, they're not the only team with interest, but the fact that they have interest always catches your eye because they tend to really sharply identify the players they want and go aggressively after them. I mean, you think back to Tanner, Janot last year, five draft picks, they traded to, to Nashville for that player. You know, people scoffed when they got Barkley Goodrow for a first round pick. What are they thinking? And Goodrow, you know, got his name inscribed on the cup in the two, you know, twice in the two years he was there. Blake Coleman, the same thing, you know, it's a, it's a savvy and aggressive front office. And whenever you start to hear Tampa being connected to a player, you got to take it seriously. Absolutely. But with teams like Dallas out there, which I feel they're a little bit of a sleeping giant in terms of the interest that they could have in, in a Hannafin or any player available, they have draft picks, they have young players that they could offload. If I'm Craig Conroy, why not go for a team that has a first or is willing to offload a pick like a not a pick but a prospect like a Maverick Bork who's doing really well at the American Hockey League level even the Bruins who don't have a first round pick depending on what could be made available through that side like that's another avenue right like I, I don't I will never doubt the the savviness and the acumen of a Julian Brisebois but I just wonder if their trade packages could be as competitive as some of the other rumored teams that are out there for Noah Hannafin or even a Chris Tanev. Well, here's something else I'll put on your radar. All first round picks are not created equal. 
And, no. you know, I've been, I've been hearing in my conversations that I've had in the last week or so here more and more that a lot of teams are down on this first round after a certain point, be it 12 or 15. But, you know, when we're talking about the contending teams trading their first round picks, you let you have to assume those picks are somewhere between 20 and 32 for the most part for this coming draft. I mean, and so as much as you is. If you're in Calgary shoes and you're selling or Philadelphia or you know, some of these other teams that I think are going to have some attractive pieces to sell, you, you know, you may not want the 2024 first or you may not you may not value it as as well. And so that's it's just something else to put on your radar. I mean, you're right. Dallas is a team that has a first rounder in 2024. I, you know, I think that they will move it for some kind of addition at the deadline. They are prioritizing their blue line. So Hannafin, you know, you're, you're not you're not just connecting dots that don't make sense with with that. that and and. You know, I guess in the front offices, you have to weigh that sort of the unknown. I mean, we don't know the 2026 draft. What's that going to look like? I mean, that's going to be kids born in what, like 2009, 2008? I mean, Jesus, we're talking about kids that are 15 right now, though, right? I mean, it's hard to, I'm sure that there's, you know, there's there's prospect gurus out there that'll tell you there's some great 15-year-old, the next one coming. But I mean, it doesn't always quite work out as, as planned. And so that would be, that'll be a factor here. And you know, Calgary is interesting because they already got the Lindholm first. You know, I think there's a world where they get a first for Tanev, you know, a second at minimum, I would think. You know, you get another first for Hannafin. If they trade Markstrom, there could be another first. I mean, they could end up with quite a few first-round picks. I mean, it's something we've seen Arizona manage to do in, in recent years here. You know, a couple other teams have, you know, Montreal has stockpiled, you know, more than just the typical number of first-round picks. Um you know, but it's smart to do for Calgary as well because they've still got one going out the door, right? They, we're not even going to get into that that uh, those trade clauses. Like, I, it melts my brain oh when my I try to figure God. out how the Sean brain and, and it melts my brain and 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 the NHL execs too. Like, I, I know this for a fact that there are NHL execs around the league who look at that and they're like, "What is going on?" They probably can't wait till the trade conditions are satisfied on that one, so it's just off oh the books. So like, no one has to worry about it again, but. If you're not familiar, we're talking about the, there's a lot of conditions tied to the first round pick. Calgary will send to Montreal. That was for sending Sean Monaghan there originally, but you know it's all tied in with the first round pick with Florida and the, the Matthew Kachuk trade. Anyway, let's not. Uh, th- th- this pod will go right off the rails if we try to dig into that and make it make any sense because that's it's that's fair. Me. But but there is one thing I'd like to sort of mention. We, again, we don't have to go in on that trade. I would think that Craig Conroy probably wants a first round pick in 2025 to offset the one that he could lose. I, I think, right. and I think if, if Chris, if Chris Tanev is not going to get you a first round pick this year, what's wrong with getting a 2025 first round pick for nothing. I mean, this is what, I, like, these are valuable assets, you know, something else I reported this week, Julian, but it, I found it interesting is that Arizona, which if you look at the next, number of drafts they have so many picks 20 picks in the first three rounds of the next three drafts total plus they've been making a ton in these last couple of years they're looking to sell players now and they're looking for more picks like they view the picks not just for the players that they might become because obviously i don't think that they could eat. most teams i mean the way the rules work you can only have 50 players under contract i mean there is there is actually a critical mass where it's not beneficial to have that many prospects um, it's probably there, there's there's likely challenges that I can't even conceive of in terms of just making sure they develop properly, having the resources to interface with them, all those sorts of things. But the, the Coyotes still want more picks, and so I think if you're in Calgary's position, even if you're you're not trying to go to the bottom of the league, even if you are bringing players back, you know, accumulating those picks are, are valuable, and that's 
that's why that they've been look their players have been at the top of the trade board every single time this is the fifth one we've done i don't think there's been a non-calgary flame there it was lindholm at a certain point in time it's been tanev it's now hannafin there's maybe a case to be made that it could be markstrom um you know that the flames this is a unique window and, and obviously getting it right is important and you know nailing the picks and the development aspect will be important for years to come um but you know they're they're really the only declared seller at this deadline that has as as of this moment uh, that has a lot to sell. I mean, I think Pittsburgh is kind of a half declared seller, and and Gensel's pretty, you know, pretty enticing. But a lot of the, you know, Anaheim's got Adam Henrique and Sam Carrick who's on the board, and Ilya Labushkin who's on the board. John Gibson is on the board, although I think it's going to be tough to move that contract. You know, San Jose's got Duclair and others, but it, it really. Calgary is is stirring the the drink here, and um, let's let's hope they got some action for us soon. It's actually been pretty quiet trade period, uh, you know, since the All Star break. I'm anticipating an emergency podcast at some point where we're talking about a trade between Noah Hannafin and insert team here, and or Chris Tanev and insert this team here. I'm ready for it. The laptop's ready. The mic is ready. I'll be ready whenever that has to happen. You know, it's interesting, and, and we'll, we'll move on from this because I know we beat Calgary around every episode, but the <laughs> Flames, from my, from my understanding, the Flames have been pretty aggressive, even like till very recently, to try to sign Hannafin. Like they, yes. They're really trying to hold on to the player. There could be a number or there could be a contract structure or something they can put in front of them that changes things. Um, but they, 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 they haven't – it's not like they do want to just sell everything. Like they've, they've, they've put a pretty strong – effort forward to keep them and and i just don't think they're going to be able to do it and i'll say this noah hannafin at least what's been conveyed to me has nothing against the city of calgary he likes the city of calgary it's just i think his desire ultimately to play in the states just might be bigger than playing in calgary and if they're not going to be in a position where they're going to be competitive maybe now's the time to make that move it's both right i mean it's it's nothing about the city. It's players want to play where they can win, especially players who haven't had a chance to Absolutely. win. Absolutely. And, you know, Hannafin's been in the league a fairly long time now and hasn't really had a true chance to win a cup. I mean, the Flames of a couple of years ago had a really good team. They just lost early in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, I think you get to this point, and, and that's why, I mean, Tampa, put it this way. If I had a no-trade clause, I would wave for Tampa. But Tampa is like the one place in the league, even as a journalist, man, I would – I would go live there. And I don't say that about many places. Like I love, honestly, I love when I travel around the league. I, like I can find redeeming aspects or, or things I like about every place, but there's very, like, it's a very small number of places I look at. And I'm like, I would live there. Tampa is one of the very few places. CJ, give us the teams on your no trade clause. What do you mean? Like the ones I won't like go cities, to? Like NHL cities, you would not wave your no trade clause. like you are you are stapled to toronto for however long you're signed for and the opportunity to be traded quote unquote happens give me some nhl cities you would not wave your no trade clause for well i'm gonna do what the majority of players do i'm gonna have canada on there and i'm gonna have <laughs> california on there <laughs> so like montreal comes up you're not moving to montreal what is this well it might, but here's the thing. Most players, this is the truth about the trade clauses, especially the ones that, that aren't, don't cover the whole league. Most of them are like Canada and California because of the tax situation, and players just don't want to be traded there against their will. 
you can then in an individualized case, the team can come to you and be like, Hey, look, CJ, that the Habs really want you. And then, you know, you, then I have a decision to make something against those cities, but you know, it's a short but, career. But like I'll New Jersey that. hits you up, but like New Jersey hits you up. You're like, all right, I'm going to go work in New Jersey. New Jersey's New Jersey's a good spot. <laughs> that was the least convincing, least convincing uh, support for New Jersey I've ever heard in my life. Dude, it's beside Manhattan. I mean, and, and I and I don't know. I don't. I actually haven't been to a lot of the suburbs there, but I know there's like nice suburbs where the players live, and like I think it's a good place to live and play. I think you know. Look at Timo Meyer okay. went there and stayed. I'm just saying, yes, Timo Meyer last year could he could have been. He could have been the most attractive free agent had he not signed there. I mean, he he went there and stayed. And I still think, I mean, it's been a it's been a weird year for the Devils, the injuries, everything that's gone on. Um, I still think that's a team that's going to be good for years to come, too. So like that, that would be part of it. You want to you want to be somewhere where you can have professional and personal success. And I, I, I would not block my, my move to New Jersey. Put it that way. OK. All right. You heard it here first, I'm everybody. For this uh, devil slander. I've been in on the Devils for a couple of years now. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Wilde's gonna like that as you know he is a big New Jersey Devils fan uh, anyone else on your NHL trade board which you could read at the athletic that we should be looking out for Sean Walker comes to mind but I'm sure there are other names you want us to keep an eye out for yeah Walker's an interesting case I think he's a player that the Flyers want to get a first round pick for and you know I actually had a chance to chat with him last week when his when they were through Toronto and you know, he's he's kind of embracing this, I think, is the best way to put it. Like, like not just our trade board, but just having his name in the rumors so prominently. You know, he and the Flyers have had discussions on an extension. Um, and, you know, here recently again as well. And, you know, I think ultimately it's still more likely than not he's traded because, you know, what they can get for him is too appealing. And what he can get potentially as a free agent is pretty appealing. Like for him to give up the, the chance to become a UFA as a right shot defenseman, one who's having a good year. One who, if traded from Philadelphia, presumably is going to a team that's going to play in the playoffs where obviously he can show his stuff and, and you know, put himself in the best spot entering July 1st. Um, you know, I, I think he'll don't be surprised when he gets a first round pick. And I do think he'll be he'll be dealt. You know, he could return to Philadelphia, too. That's the other thing. Like, I, I know he and the Flyers have both really appreciated and liked each other. Like, I think it's been a good relationship. You know, Walker mentioned he didn't really know what to expect when he got there. You know, he gets traded last summer. I just moved into a new house actually in California. Um, so that was, you know, from a personal standpoint, wasn't, wasn't ideal, but you know, he knew he'd be in the trade rumors this year and he's, it's worked out great. Um, yeah. I mean, look, we've, there's, there's not a lot of new names on there. I mean, maybe we talked about Pavel Buchnevich much. He's, he's kind of jumped up the board just because I think, you know, the fact he signed one more year, he's, you know, having a productive season in St. Louis, it's not a foregone conclusion. They don't have to move him. In fact, as we're recording this, St. Louis is actually in a wild card spot. But we've seen Doug Armstrong do this before. Like, I think he's pretty realistic about asset management and he's open to a lot of things. I'm told the price on him would have to be bigger than what, you know, Lindholm got the flames. So obviously someone would have to step up to make that a deal. Um, but, you know, contending teams are looking at Puchnevich because he's, you know, someone I think that could fit in the top six on, on you know, really good teams. Um, and, and, you know, some teams might see it as a positive that he signed next year as well. You're, you're trading for two, two runs with them, not just one. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know Pooch if there's any names in particular. That's interesting. Can we, can we delve in on that a little bit more? So Doug Armstrong, Doug Armstrong would want more than what the Flames got for Elias Lindholm. Do I have that right? 
you have that right. But I mean, you're you're talking about a player with term on his deal. Like like Lindholm was a pure rental, right? That that's that's yeah. the other side of this. It's not to say one player is better than the other. It's it's that you're getting more value back if you're guaranteed to have Butchnevich next year on your roster. At least that that would be the argument that would be made in that that trade conversation. You know, for Vancouver, it's very much up in the air whether Lindholm will stay. I mean, I think he's keeping an open mind about it, but. You know, he's also not dumb, you know, much like I said with Sean Walker. He recognizes when we start doing the free agent board, his name's going to be right back at the top. And he's got a chance to to go to July 1st and hear what every team in the league has to say and potentially have a little bit of a bidding war for himself and, and you know, maximize his earning potential. So, um, you know, Vancouver did give up that first, gave up a couple prospects, gave up Kuzmenko, which in their case was someone they needed to get off the roster in terms of making all the money work. And, you know, he'd been a healthy scratch this season there. But yeah, I, I think for, for St. Louis to act, it's going to have to be something big, but I wouldn't rule it out just because, and I say this with respect, they're just, there's not, look at, look at the other forwards available. I mean, only one team is going to trade for Adam Henrique. Uh, only one team gets Jake Kensel. There's probably more teams than those two that are looking for, to, to bolster their forward group. And, you know, let, let's see how it plays out. The St. Louis Blues have been winning a lot too. So that, that, that could, that that could be a fly in the ointment here. Whereas we're trading players off their roster, they might be they might be firmly in a playoff spot on March fourth, and then all of a sudden those plans don't don't pan out. Speaking of forwards, what about Vladimir Tarasenko and his situation? We know about the changing of agents. What is it? The three in the last four? Years? So the fourth time in the last three years he's had to change agents recently. Uh, what about his situation? And which teams could be interested? You know, I think Edmonton has looked there. I mean, look, Edmonton's looked at every forward. I, I, I will say with certainty that the Oilers are going to make a trade for a forward between now and the deadline. I can't tell you which one it's going to be, but you know, I think that they, I think their team that's looked at Puchnevich, I think their team that's looked at um, Tarasenko, Gensel, um, you know, Henrique. You know, I think that they're they're really surveying the market at that position to, to to see what makes the most sense, both in terms of acquisition costs and for their lineup. Uh, you know, Tarasenko, from what I've heard from scouts, is is played hard this season. That you know, I, I don't. I think it's fair to say it wasn't his first choice to end up in Ottawa on a one-year contract at the end of the summer, kind of the way it, it went. Um, but you know, even on a team that's underperformed, he can still put the puck in the net. He's still built like a tank. I think you know, built in a physical way that he can withstand. Uh, you know, what the playoffs become, where the the battle for ice is is far more important in terms of producing offense. You know, he's got some Stanley Cup pedigree. He went for a first-round pick, remember, last year uh, when St. Louis traded him to the Rangers at the deadline. I, I don't know that Ottawa is going to get it first for him this time around. You know, it's just an extra year on. Maybe maybe some of the the, the perceived value goes down in the marketplace. But, you know, I, I'd certainly expect him to be moved by the deadline. I think the Senators are a team that, that are looking to – From sounds like they're they're looking at bigger trades. Like, they're not just looking at trading away their UFAs. I don't know that they've they've found the traction they need on those kind of deals just yet, but I, you know, I think with a new ownership and management group in place, you know, obviously new coaching staff and probably a new head coach to come. You know, Jacques Martin's there on an interim basis. That they're they're looking at some some larger scale moves, but you know, among the most obvious, you know, decisions they have is just finding finding a landing spot for Tarasenko, and I don't think they're going to have any trouble doing so. CJ, do you have any other trade tidbits, trade nuggets, trade talk, trade discussion, anything to do with the trade that you'd like to get off your chest now before we move on? 
No, just that I'm hearing rumors that you're going to be traded to agent provocateur, but you know, at this point it's just rumblings. Um, so, you know, nothing, nothing I can confirm at this hour, but you know, sources are saying there've been discussions. Oh boy. <laughs> oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. Now I've, now I feel exactly how players feel. They, they don't want to see themselves in the rumors. They don't want to see themselves leave. Good you Lord. You a third round oh pick my. for Adam Wilde? Oh my God. No. Anyway. <laughs> um, that, hey, you uh, get the extra pick because you're younger. You got more upside than Adam. So. I, I I don't know if people want to listen to Agent Provocateur with me and Alan Walsh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you should do a, a, like a wacko episode, right? Where you just do one. Yeah. Everyone just like switches. My my dream is still to 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 guest host uh, the Steve Dangle podcast. It will happen one day. Uh, but yeah, it, it would be. I would say like my dream, but it's something I would very much love to do. Like just put me on like a kid's table episode whenever like Adam is sick or something. I, I would love yeah. to just be a part of that. You're one phone call away from that happening. Like that is so going to happen at some point. I don't, Ooh. I don't know what circumstances will, will necessitate it, but I mean, you're, you're next on the speed dial. Okay. So we're done with trade talk for now. Uh, check out CJ's trade board up on the athletic website. I want to talk about some of the places you've been recently. Well, maybe more just one location. We saw your cameo appearance on uh, on on TSN with John Liu as part of the Winnipeg Jets broadcast. You were in Winnipeg a couple days ago. I want to talk about your excursion and who you might have been talking to in uh, the great city of Winnipeg? Yeah, it was like a, a weirdo universe where I'm appearing on the Jets regional broadcast with John uh, from the press box. It was pretty cool, though. Love John. Um Love John as well. I've known him a long time. I, I, when I first came up, he was actually the Toronto-based TSN reporter. Uh, then had a long stint, obviously, in Montreal and has since moved back to his hometown in Winnipeg here the last couple of years. Yeah, I was in Winnipeg. I'm working on a story for The Athletic about you know some of the things that have gone on there. I know we've hit on it early in the season with the, the attendance troubles that the Jets have had. And you know, had an opportunity actually to sit down with the chairman of the team, Mark Chipman, for you know I think what... I would deem was a, a very candid and honest conversation about where they're at business wise, you know, what they've seen through this year where look, the jets have been as active as anyone. They, they signed big contract extensions at the start of the season for, for Shifley and Hellebuck. They, they're one of the teams that's been active and going to get Sean Monaghan gave up a first round pick uh, to Montreal in order to get that deal done. And, you know, they, there was even a point in December where they were at the very top of the NHL standings. And so despite the fact they've had a lot of on-ice success, it's been an off-ice challenge still. And, you know, Winnipeg is starting a pretty big push, I'd say, from the Jets side of things to try to remedy that. And, you know, we didn't really get into doomsday scenarios, I would say, Julian. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's the unspoken part of a conversation like that, is that if things don't change, you know, there's going to be ramifications that no one wants to see. And so, you know, the... Mark Chipman directly, I think the NHL is supporting him. You know, everyone in that organization is aligned and trying to not allow it to get to that point. But they've seen a significant, significant drop in season tickets in the last three years. They saw a drop after last season, where last year's season was a year again, where they were pretty good. They went to the playoffs. Um, and so that has to change, or I don't even want to put words to what the or 
could be. But you know, this is a, this is a town. Also, you know, the one thing that I found interesting that Mark said, and I don't want to spoil the article too much, but he, he mentioned that it's it's been difficult for him to find the words to have this conversation publicly, like with someone like me, a reporter, or with the fans, because he he lived the loss of the team in the '90s, right? And he understands. He doesn't want to look like they're threatening anybody. He doesn't want to look like you know act like they're looking for sympathy. But he also wants to be honest, right? If you're in a family. Sometimes you got to sit down at the dinner table and have an honest conversation. And I think that conversation is coming with the public in Winnipeg because they're just at a point where it's not sustainable right now with the number of tickets they're selling. And and the NHL is still a gate-driven league. And that's that's true not just in Winnipeg. That's around the league. The good news for the league, if you look at attendance numbers across the league, they're actually up. Um you know, the NHL is doing well in a lot of markets and in markets where they haven't always done well. I mean, I'll I'll point at one. Florida is a market where the league has struggled attendance wise for years and years and years. And the, look at the Panthers have, you know, they got to a Stanley Cup final last year and they're one of the better teams again this season. And the fans have responded and, and you know, they're, they're selling tickets there. You know, Raleigh has become like a real positive place for the, for the league. And, and, you know, Mark got into some of this. And so he said it's been hard to watch his own market. You know, it's been disheartening, I think was the word he used, because, you know, they, they, they've continued to put a good team on the, the ice. They're trying to push for a Stanley Cup. And, you know, they haven't been met with the enthusiasm in terms of people buying tickets. But he's also understands we've gone through a pandemic. The, the cost of a ticket is, is beyond some families. I mean, that, that's where it's, it's a really delicate issue. And, you know, I think I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. You'll enjoy the piece when. Uh, when it's published in the next day or two here at the athletic. Yeah. I can't wait to read that. I, I, I just, I just feel bad for, for fans in Winnipeg because they waited so long for this team to get back. And now they're in this situation where there are questions around the viability of them staying in Winnipeg again. Like it's, th- that must be tough to take, but you mentioned the pandemic, well, you mentioned ticket prices, that it, like what else could be the reasoning? Is it, is it, access to the arena? Like what other, what other factors could play into why, there is an attendance issue. Well, it's the smallest market in the league, right? So they have the they have the least margin for error when when sentiment shifts in a certain direction or when you know the economy impacts the, the local market. It's going to impact a team like that more just because they literally need real people to buy tickets and go to games. The other part of it too that that Mark Chipman shared with me is that they have the lowest number of of corporate season seats of any team in the league as well. And so you know what they've done and and I'm really trying not to spoil all of it, but they've, they've really tried yeah. to engage the business community there to, to, to change that because, you know, businesses generally speaking can withstand maybe some of the, the turns in the economy more than, you know, a family of four can uh, where, you know, if one member of the household loses a job or if, if, you know, other expenses come along, you know, obviously the first thing to go when you're talking about your family would be discretionary spending, like on a hockey game or a concert or something like that. Uh, whereas a business I think can generally, has different cash flow sort of situations and, and can justify that expense. And so, you know, they're really the the way I would put it is I didn't get the sense that in my conversation that they're blaming anybody, that they're there certainly was no threat or anything. Like they're really working hard on on attacking the issues and and trying to address some of the concerns there. Um, and they're doing it in really unique ways. And that's 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 probably as far as I'll go on here. Uh, we yeah. can may- maybe touch touch on it again a little bit on Monday once the articles dropped. But you know, it's it it was an honest conversation. It was a really I was very appreciative of his willingness to sit down with me and and 
get into all this stuff because it's it's not a pleasant conversation, right? Like it's Mark actually said at the end of the interview when we when I turned the recorder off, he said, you know, I wasn't looking forward to this. And no, it's no offense to you, but like, you know, it's kind of like going into somebody's house and having a discussion about struggles in their family or something. Like it's it's not a pleasant thing to have to do. Um, but you know, I think that that they don't want to pretend there's not an issue. I mean, this team has been one of the best in the league this year. And they, you know, they're starting to see a little bit more of a walk-up crowd, for example. But in terms of season ticket numbers and things like that, there's there's really been no movement, and they need that to change starting next season. Or, or, or we're not done talking about this subject, unfortunately. Uh, looking forward to that conversation once that piece is uploaded. Let's get to stick taps. I would like to start, if possible. I would like to give my stick tap this week to Quinton Byfield. Uh, who I think scored the goal of the year against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I, I, I have it on a separate laptop playing on loop right now. I still can't believe that happened. He put Zach Wierenski on a poster and found a way to finish an incredible play. And I think when it's all said and done, unless Connor, I mean, it's totally possible that Connor McDavid could just walk up and score a crazy goal of his own. We know how capable he is. But I think we're at that point where we start to look at some of the goals that have happened this year. Quentin Byfield might have it. He might have the goal of the year. It was awesome. It was amazing. It was so cool. And just a sign that you know we, we put this label on these high draft picks when they don't pan out right away. We think, oh, man, they're going to be a bust or, oh, they're going to suck. Quentin Byfield, the number two overall pick from the 2020 draft class, he's starting to come into his own, man. I really like the development. I like what the LA Kings have been doing with him. You just have to take your time with some of these prospects. They're doing well by him, and they're starting to see it. They're starting to see a situation bear fruit, and I love it for him. So uh, I'm going to give him a stick tap this week. I'd point out, especially for the the bigger players too, is Byfield's a big man. Like growing into his body, figure out how to 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 exist in the game that way and be his most effective. I mean, that's what allows him score a goal like that. Obviously, big, powerful, great vision to score that goal. And you're Slavkovsky in Montreal, same deal, right? I mean, he's been under the microscope, but we've really seen him come alive with his production here the last little while. And so it, it wouldn't look good. It, it was easy to come out and criticize those picks or say those players were going to pan out early in their career, but you're starting to, you're starting to, those takes have gone pretty cold here. I'd say as the season's mm-hmm. gone along, you know, as for my stick tap, I could have stick tapped either of those guys, but I'll, I'll go with Ashti Baines who made his NHL debut for the Vancouver Canucks this year the fourth player of Punjabi heritage to, to play in the NHL, obviously, you know, someone who I think, you know, a lot of people specific in that marketplace in Vancouver, you know, can identify with and, and really support and just a cool story for him to, to carry some expectations and, you know, break, break through barriers himself, you know, to get to that stage in his career. It was cool to see his dad there, uh, you know, getting pretty emotional as he made his NHL debut. So stick taps to you and, and, Let's hope it's the first of many NHL games uh, for Baines. Well said, CJ. That's going to do it for our Thursday edition of the show. We'll be back on Monday with uh, Ask CJ and more fun stuff around the NHL. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.